This is an ABC podcast. This is Baby Talk Podcast with Penny Johnston. You say umbilical, I say umbilical. However you pronounce it, the umbilical cord is a ropey cord of blood vessels that connects an in utero baby to the placenta that keeps it alive. But the umbilical cord is not actually part of the mother. It is of and fully controlled by the baby. Now, I don't know if you knew that much about your baby's umbilical cord or whether you even thought you needed to. The umbilical cord is one of those wonderful aspects of babies that even now isn't quite fully understood. Professor Ewan Wallace is the very charming Director of Obstetric Services at Monash Health and he very graciously let me ask all manner of questions about umbilical cords or, as he says, umbilical cords. But before we go there with the pronunciation, I was really fascinated to ask him how and when he started in the field of obstetrics. Well, I never planned to get into obstetrics. I planned to be a general practitioner. So I trained in the UK, trained in Edinburgh, and I thought I wanted to be a country GP. And in Edinburgh at that time, women's health, obstetrics, gynaecology was a core part of training. It was my first training job towards the GP, and I loved it. And I, I've stayed with it. That hey. was... That was 25, 30 years ago. Wow. And so what's changed in the last 25 or 30 years? Oh, enormous amounts changed. I think the standards of care have transformed. Women's expectations have transformed, rightly. And our understanding of things that go wrong in pregnancy have improved greatly. We've still got a long way to go. It seems amazing that there's still, and the more people that I speak about in the health field, you know, huge jumps are being made, but there is still so much that's not known. And that's the thrill of it. I think that's the thrill of medicine generally and, you know, healthcare generally, that it's human biology, there's still lots we don't know, still lots to uncover. Uh, It's what gets you up in the morning, what keeps you young and busy. So that's great. Now, I really wanted to talk to you because when I started asking around who knows the most about umbilical cords, <laughs> your name kept coming up. I do like umbilical cords. Do you? Yeah. Now, tell us, well, give <laughs> us, this is umbilical cord 101. <laughs> so I want to know everything I didn't need, know I needed to know about umbilical cords. So you've got your little fertilized egg, you've yep. got your little single cell at the start of something. How on earth do we end up with a, a baby, a placenta and an umbilical cord? Well, it's a complex journey, isn't it? But the the cord, as you know, is the connection between the baby and the placenta. The placenta belongs to the baby, so very early on, within the first few days of the embryo sitting down in the uterus and the lining of the womb, the um, what will go on to form the baby splits off from the placenta, so sends cells off to the placenta. And a little stock forms between the placenta and the baby, which becomes the umbilical cord. And it's its connection. It just sends blood down two arteries and it comes back down one vein provides all the oxygen the baby needs provides all the nutrition and of course gets rid of all the calm dogs and all the waste that the baby doesn't need and of course it sort of has become very scientific in that when we talk about things like smoking and and taking drugs that can get passed from the mother to the baby that are not necessarily good Mm. most most things that the mother takes will get across to the baby with with great ease so if the mother smokes takes drugs, they all get across very easily to the baby, so the baby's exposed to all of those things. Of course, that goes for the good things too, the, the fruit and veggies that we eat and healthy diet. 
they, all that nutrition also gets across to the baby. Are there any problems that umbilical cords can develop during pregnancy? Yeah, there are. I mean, they, rarely the baby can tie itself in a knot, so you can have a so-called true knot in the cord. And for healthy pregnancies, that doesn't usually cause a problem. But if the baby's not growing well and the cord is very skinny, then that true knot can cut off the blood supply to the baby and cause problems. And and there is an inkling that is associated with high risks of um, stillbirth and late pregnancy complications. I think uh, over the last maybe five or ten years or so, our appreciation of the cord has improved. And we're, we're now very interested in where the cord comes into the placenta. So we call that the cord insertion. So whereabouts in the placenta is the cord plugging in? And where the cord plugs in on the very edge of the placenta then we take great notice of that because those are the pregnancies that are more likely to be complicated by baby not growing properly in later pregnancy. Just just because the baby's not able to get the whole use of the entire placenta. Can you give us an idea of what the dimensions of the cord is? How long is it and how thick is it? Because I think you know most people that might have seen one would see one after it stopped being used. But when that baby comes out, what does it look like? Um, it looks like a rope. So it's it's very gently coiled and it looks like a piece of shiny rope. It's got a very shiny covering over it. There are three blood vessels in it, so two arteries taking blood away from the baby to the placenta and one vein bringing blood back from the placenta to the baby. And then there's jelly, so-called Wharton's jelly. There's jelly surrounding those blood vessels, really like a cushion to protect the vessels from being cut off. The vessel, the cord length varies enormously. Actually, humans have quite long cords as a species um, compared to some other animals. And in diameter, it's about um, half a centimetre to a centimetre. Wow. And I understand when a baby's still attached, does it, it pulses? It does pulse because, of course, the baby's heartbeat is pushing blood through the placenta and it's coming back. So the pulsation that you're feeling is a transmitted signal from the baby's heartbeat. So the baby's heart is actually doing a lot of work in pushing nutri- or pushing the blood backwards and forwards between the placenta? Yeah. All the, the, the blood is essentially a closed loop, closed circuit of blood. Um, all the blood movement through the placenta is done by the baby. In the same way that when we take our pulse at our wrist, that's just reflecting our heartbeat. So when you feel the pulsation in the cord, that's reflecting the baby's heartbeat. So the baby is doing all the work, pushing the blood through the placenta. Now the placenta, we, we call the placenta a low pressure circuit. So it's extremely low pressure. So the baby can push blood through it really very easily. And it goes through gets rid of waste products, picks up oxygen and goodies, and then comes back again. Um, But the baby's heart is doing all that work. So the mother's not doing anything there. The mother, uh, of course, is pushing lots of blood through her uterus. And as it comes into the wall of the uterus, it forms like a lake. And the placenta is dipped in that lake. But the mother's blood and the baby's blood never mix. So they're always always separated, but separated by just one or two cells. So extremely close. But, but always separated. Is there a knack to creating the right sort of belly button? Because that's all we've got ah. left of our umbilical cord. <laughs> well, that's secret midwife oh, business. Oh, dear. <laughs> secret midwife business. So I'm, I'm never taught that. Um, no, so the, one of the parents or the midwife at the time of the birth will clamp the cord close to the belly button, what will become the belly button. And as all mums know, the little bit of cord that's left will turn black and shrivel up and then just fall off. 
Whether that gives you an innie or an outie, I think, is genetics rather than how the cord was clamped. <laughs> of course, the only thing that, that I've heard of that is that really can go wrong with the cord is if the baby gets tangled up in the mm. cord during the birth process. Does mm. that happen very often? It happens a lot, but it doesn't happen in a way that causes complications to the pregnancy very often. So it's, very, it's quite common when a baby's born that the cord is wrapped around the baby's neck or under a shoulder, over an arm, sometimes even wrapped around the feet um, of the baby as the baby comes out. And usually those things don't cause any problems at all. One of the reasons that we listen to the baby's heartbeat during labour to make sure the baby's happy is that if the cord is wrapped somewhere and it is causing problems, then we can hear that in the baby's heartbeat and then we can make decisions with the mum and the dad about, well, do we need to do anything? Do, you know, do we need to hurry things along? Do we need to slow things down? Do you need a cesarean section? Do you need a forceps birth or whatever? And that's one of the important reasons that we want to know how the baby is behaving during the labour itself. Because you said that you did midwifery in Edinburgh, and I know that this got some of the most superstitious people in the world, <laughs> what are some of the superstitions around umbilical cords? I'm not sure there are any superstitions Come around on, umbilical cords. <laughs> there are superstitions around the membranes that surround the baby. So um, it's said that if you're born in the call, meaning that you're born still wrapped up in your membrane, so the membranes haven't ruptured, because in almost everybody, the membranes rupture very early on in labour. But if you're born wrapped in your membranes, then it's said that you can never be lost at sea. And in Victorian times, the people used to sell their membranes to fishermen, and the fishermen would keep them in their pockets so they were never lost at sea. David Copperfield was born in his call, and in Charles Dickens' novel, he tries to sell David Copperfield tries to sell his call unsuccessfully. How amazing! The other thing about umbilical cords, or and do you say umbilical? I say I, I say umbilical. One of the aspects of modern parenting has been, I've seen, advertised that you can actually store some of the blood that is found in your umbilical cord. Does that cord still bring with it something very special for the baby? Yeah, it does. So one of the, one of the really intriguing things about baby's blood, so newborn baby's blood, is that the blood contains many, many more stem cells than adult blood. So uh, all of our blood contains stem cells. So if we took a blood sample off each other today, we could find some stem cells in our blood. But they're not very common. In fact, they're extremely rare. And if we wanted to get stem cells from ourselves, then we'd, we'd do a bone marrow biopsy. Whereas in the newborn baby, there are lots more stem cells in its blood. And so one of, one of the things that really started about 20, 25 years ago was could we collect cord blood, just in the same way that the Red Cross collects blood from blood donors like ourselves, could we collect cord blood, but primarily for the stem cells? And uh, so that's been done in public banks. There's a public bank here in Melbourne. There's a public bank in Sydney and in Brisbane. That's been done for a very large number of years now, and there are tens of thousands of units of blood stored in those public banks. What's happened more recently, maybe really catching on the last five or six years or so, in Australia has been the opportunity for couples or for individual women to say, well, actually, I want to store my own baby's blood privately so that if my baby needed it as a, because it got a childhood leukaemia or blood cancer of some sort, then it would have its own blood to give back. 
And so increasing numbers of couples are doing that. About 3 or 4% of Australian couples choose to do that. That's reasonably expensive, so it is quite an investment. It is an investment, it is, and it varies. There are two or three companies, um, in pr- private companies in Australia that offer it, and it varies between about three and a half and dollars $4,500. And for that cost, the blood is collected and se- stem cells are separated and stored, typically for up to 18 years. Uh, and that's all inclusive of, of that cost. And then at 18 years, I guess by that stage, the young man or young woman is offered the choice of continuing to store it for actually very small cost, less than $100 a year, um, or discarding it. Now, somebody put it to me that if you did end up having a disorder like perhaps leukaemia, yep. then your own stem cells wouldn't necessarily be useful because they were the ones that let you get the, the illness in the first place. Yep, so that's actually completely wrong. And the stem cells that you would get from your own donation would be extremely useful and much better than any other donor because, of course, they're an absolutely perfect match. They're yours. And they don't harbour the mutation or the defect that then caused your that arose to cause your leukaemia or your lymphoma. So that's completely wrong. So the, the, the whole premise behind private cord blood banking is that if the child, if the baby developed leukaemia, then it would have a perfect match from from itself that you could use for a bone marrow transplant. And then for the people that wish to donate, then that's that's to a pretty good cause as well, isn't it? It is. I mean, our public um, core blood banks are an extremely precious resource. And here in Victoria, they collect from a relatively small number of hospitals, but they get hundreds and hundreds of donations a year that are very generously given by parents, just again in the same way that adults would attend Red Cross to as a blood donor. Do you know much about what the cells are used for in the public banks? So they are used for transplanting into individuals with blood cancers, leukemias, lymphomas. There are a whole array, 80, 100 different um, anemias, you know, rather individually rather rare conditions. But collectively, they're common enough that it's an important resource. And the, the nice thing about these core blood stem cells is that they, they proliferate, so they multiply much faster than adult stem cells. So when you give them as a transplant, they recover the patient much faster than you would do if you were using an adult transplant. Now, okay, this, and this one's a bit out of left field mm. because um, I don't know if you follow any of the Kardashians. I don't follow Kardashians. <laughs> but so. apparently one of them that's just had a baby is uh, eating her placenta. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think raw. I think it was uh, encapsulated. Yep. Have you heard of such a such yeah, a thing before? Yeah, so eating the placentas, I mean, many species eat, eat their placentas. We think primarily for a hygiene reason because, of course, if the placenta's left rotting in the paddock, then it's going to attract flies and infection. And so many domesticated animals will eat their placentas for a hygiene reason. For humans, eating placenta is not culturally a common practice. So there's no, there is no ethnic group that eats their placenta. It has become uh, increasingly popular. There are lots of recipes. You can, one can Google recipes for placenta with garlic and ginger and so on. It's quite a fibrous tissue. I have never had it, I have to confess. But um, looking at it, it looks a bit grisly to me. So most recently, as you said, more trendy or more popular way is to be to desiccate them and smash them up into powder and put them into capsules and then eat them. Really, there's no nutritional value whatsoever, nor is there any hormonal value. They've been touted as a preventative treatment for postnatal depression and all sorts, improving breast milk production. 
it's all nonsense, I'm afraid. Oh, no. So well, what, what, I mean, your placenta is just what, a sort of a fibrous blood transfusion? It, yeah, it's, well, so it is the most amazing organ and it produces most hormones that, that the rest of the body produces. So it's like a little control centre in itself. But it's fundamentally just um, a microscopic mesh of blood vessels which has allowed the baby to be in very close contact with her or his mother's blood, um, allowing very efficient transfer of goodies and waste products back and forward. So it's essentially just millions and millions of network of blood vessels wrapped up in some supporting tissue. And if you look at it, if you handle a placenta after a full-term pregnancy or birth, then it's rather gritty and fibrous and I don't think it would be particularly nice eating. So it's almost because pregnancy is when your placenta gets past its use-by date. It's not... Well, why why we go into birth is an intriguing question and I'm not sure actually we know the complete answer to that. But um, we think that... that the, well, we, we know that the baby triggers the, the birth. So the mother doesn't control labour. The baby decides when it's going to be born. And most babies trigger labour because they've frankly had enough. So the the placenta doesn't um, stop working. And quite often we hear um, that women have been told that, oh, your placenta stopped working, you need to have the baby. Actually, that's not true. The placenta continues to work, but the baby's requirements, its oxygen requirements and its food requirements, just outgrow what the placenta can provide. So the placenta is working flat out and it can't deliver all the oxygen the baby needs. And so the baby senses that. It senses that its oxygen levels are beginning to fall bit by bit. And it really just says, I need to get out of here. It triggers a stress response. And stress is, and this is a good response. And that stress response then sends messages to the, mus- the muscle of the womb, which then start contractions. And then labour starts and the baby's born. So the baby really triggers its own escape mechanism. Professor Ewan Wallace, Director of Obstetrics Services at Monash Health in Melbourne. I'm Penny Johnston and I hope to see you very soon again on Baby Talk. ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Digital Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.